Today's guest is a perfect example of how you never know who you're going to meet in life. One person can change the whole course of direction that you decide to go, whether it's your career or your personal life. Stay tuned for this next episode of Sidewalk Talk. Hi, I'm Jamie Catania of Shovel the Sidewalk. We're a marketing firm in Buffalo, New York, building brands and creating advertising for small businesses. And we utilize the power of authentic storytelling. That's why we came up with Sidewalk Talk. It's a way for business owners, experts, entrepreneurs, thought leaders to share their stories of success, failures, and, and show how you can just be inspired during even a crazy time that we're living in right now. Um, I'm very thankful to have our guest, Jill Micah, on the show today. Jill, thank you again for taking the time to be on the show. How are you doing right now? Yeah, no, I, I'm doing great. It's sunny in East Aurora right now, so I'm a happy camper. Um, there's no snow on the ground, so that's another bonus. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, we had an interesting story right now. You're, you're an HR consultant. You have your own business. You're also a leadership coach. Um, but from mm -hmm. what we discussed uh, off air when we first met, that wasn't actually the route that you wanted to go. You were, you were actually hoping to do something completely different. I, I was hoping you would share that with the audience, like how your story began and, and where you're at now. Yeah, for sure, Jamie. It's, it's definitely um, an interesting story, um, and I can get a little over the top of telling it. So please give me a cue if I, I'm speaking too much about, about the story. But um, when I went to school, I really didn't have a plan for what I was going to do after I graduated from college. Um, all I knew was I really enjoyed science, biology, and um, I made the decision to major in that. Um, and I really, at the time, I had I didn't know what I was going to do post-graduation. Mm. Uh, there was a couple of different routes that you can go into getting a biology degree. Most people go on for their master's or they go to med school. Um, other people go to Roswell and work in a lab and, you know, work with petri dishes and microscopes and slides and things like that. And I just knew with my personality that there's no way I could be stuck in a lab all day. And so, um, I was graduating and I had taken a semester to start taking classes at Damon to start my physician's assistant degree. Um, but I, it, it just, it wasn't resonating with me and I was really kind of not very into it. And at the same time, I was a dance teacher and a fitness instructor and a yoga teacher. And I didn't know if I was also going to pursue kind of working in a gym and being a, a teacher that way. Also at the same time, I'm very, I'm a very A, a type personality or I'm like, how many more things can I add to my plate? So I was doing a lot of things. I was, I was still taking classes at Bus State, taking classes at Damon's, teaching yoga, teaching dance, and then also working at the mansion on Delaware um, as a butler. And I worked the morning shift. And one of the wonderful things you get to do as a butler at the mansion is drive people in their little Land Rover wherever they want to go. And so working there for a few months, I had developed, you know, a relationship with a lot of the, the frequent people that came through traveling on business. And um, one day, it was right after I had gotten an offer at like a gym for $11 and like 20 cents. And I'm like, what am I doing with my life? I'm like, I have a biology degree, a bachelor's degree, and I'm going to go work in a gym 
I'm like, is this really my future? And so I hopped in the car in the morning at like 7.30 in the morning with this executive. His name was Ron. And I was driving him to work. And usually I'm really like outgoing and happy and, and things like that. And he noticed that something was wrong with me. And he goes, Jill, you know, what's going on? You're not your usual happy self. I was like, yeah, you know, I got this offer and I just don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And he's like, wait, do you need like a job? Like you're graduating and you need like a real job now? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, oh, he goes, well, call this woman at this number. And he handed me a business card and he said, she'll, you know, she'll take care of it or like she'll meet with you or whatever. And I was like, oh, I don't really see myself at a bank. And he goes, I, I don't work at a bank. He goes, I'm the CEO of Cinecore. Um, and this was in 2005. And I go, oh, okay. And I really didn't know much about it. Mm. Uh, but to fast forward through a lot of the minutia, I got an interview a week later with Julia Culkin. Um, and she was the head of HR for a 20-person company called Cinecore, small little startup company in Fountain Plaza, floor 15. Um, and she liked me and hired me as her HR generalist. And I had zero HR experience. Like I, I had, I had no idea. I just knew I was going to help her out kind of, you know, with people and things like that. And that's mm -hmm. what I like. I like people. So I was like, sign me up. Um, so I stayed there for about 18 months. Um, and I call it HR boot camp. It was HR boot camp, And, um, we grew the company to over 100 employees during my period of time there. So it's me and Julia in the HR department. Um, George Shimon was a vice president there and um, Ron Frankel was the CEO. And we just hired and hired and developed the company and developed the culture and developed all of these policies and procedures and compensation structures. Um, and it was all trial by fire. And I learned a great deal from Julia. Um, very thankful and blessed that I had the opportunity to kind of be in the right place at the right time. Now, why was I only there 18 months? Great question, Jamie. Um, I was only there for 18 months because um, Buffalo is, a, it, you know, we, in 2005, 2006, 2007, you know, the, the startup team wasn't what it is today. Um, mm. It was a lot smaller, you know, only a few companies kind of doing startup IT stuff. Um, and so there was another company, two floors below uh, Cinecore, on floor 13 in Fountain Plaza, that company was called Student Voice, which is now called Campus Labs. Um, and the executives were discussing and they're like, you know, these guys just won the Panache Award at UB. Um, you know, they just got all this money, which was $25,000 at the time, not a, mm. not a ton of money, to mm. start their assessment, higher education assessment company. And they really need someone to kind of help make them like a real company because they're going to be growing. Mm -hmm. And so like Jillian can do that. Jillian, can you go work with Eric and Michael and help them, you know, grow and develop the company just like you did at Cinecore? Mm. And so then I started at Student Voice, aka Campus Labs, um, with Eric Reich and Michael Wiseman. Um, they are the founders. And I was the director of HR, came in as the director of HR, <laughs> um, had operations and finance reporting to me. Let's, let's take a little reality break right now, Jamie. I'm 24 years old. I have a degree in biology and I have a couple of years of HR experience. Okay, of course I can run operations finance and you know, develop, I, get, I knew I could develop the HR function. 
So I had people reporting to me and within a couple of weeks, um, we had made the decision, um, you know, that the controller had exited from the company mm. and Eric and Michael in pure startup fashion go, Jill, we don't need to replace this position right away. Why don't you take it over? You know, it's APAR, you know, the balance sheet, giving us P&L statements. Um, why don't you take it over for a little while? And then, you know, a couple months down the road, we will hire someone. Well, th that did not happen. Um, so I worked with them for about two and a half years and it, it, it became this much HR and this much finance and operations. Mm. Um, and I was just, you know, I was really adamant with both Eric and Michael that we needed to hire someone, you know, also because I didn't feel that comfortable continuing to do these major transactions, even though we had a great accounting partner. And the reports were constantly provided to Eric and Michael, so there was full transparency. And like, I think we need like a like a, a serious like accountant or financial person. Mm. Um, they were like, no, no, Jill, you got it. You're doing great. So I kind of had at the time um, I was also getting married, and I was like, you know, what am I? What's my long term goals? And my long term goals was definitely establishing a career in HR. I knew just from these experiences that I had found something that really aligned with my innate characteristics and abilities and, and personality. So I had made the decision to leave June Boy and go to Evans Bank. Um, and it was, it's funny because <laughs> it's just like them. Um, they actually kept me on for a period of like six to nine months. Mm -hmm. after I transitioned to Evans and I would go to student voice in the evenings and like do their books and put payroll, run payroll for them. Oh, um, wow. And so they finally, finally hired a finance person as well as an HR person. And, and now they're, you know, a great success story of Western New York as well as what Eric's doing in the startup community. Um, and so I went to Evans Bank and I, I was HR manager and I was there for six years. Um, you know, just started in that position when I was newly married, had two babies while I was, well, not at Evans Bank, but I had two daughters. Um, and I also got divorced while I was there. So major life things happened while I was at Evans Bank and I got to work with some pretty fantastic people. Dave Nasta, the CEO of Evans Bank is an outstanding leader and really taught me a lot about leadership. Um, and then you know, I, I had gotten to a point, it was six years and I was getting a divorce. My kids were young. They were amazing with me with flexibility, allowing me to work part-time, really be home with my young um, daughters to be there for all of those great moments, yet still keep my foot in the, in the professional world, which mm -hmm. was important to me. So I had left um, Evans Bank and went to North American Breweries, which is Labatt, USA. Um, and the funny story there, again, all about Buffalo, who you know, um, a year and a half, two years earlier from my departure, Mary Ellen Frandina um, had left North American Breweries as the director of people operations and came to Evans Bank. Now, mm -hmm. I was leaving Evans Bank and going to North American Breweries and was hired in a very similar role in the same office. Break yourself, Jamie on floor seven of the uh, Key Bank Tower, so Fountain Plaza. So all of these jobs all in, in Fountain Plaza, wow. totally different industries. Um, and I started at North American Breweries and she gave me a great recommendation. I was very thankful for her and 
everything I learned from her and the team and just knew it was time to move on. So then I spent five years at North American Breweries. Um, they are owned by a Costa Rican company. Their name is not even NAB anymore. It's Fisco USA. But they have brands such as Labatt, Genesee, Magic Hat, Seagram's Escape, and then some West Coast brands. Mm. Um, and there I really, I was very fortunate, and I, I feel very fortunate with all of my experience, is then it was time to kind of upscale my HR game mm. and really develop some very specific skills um, because it was a global company. Um, and so there I worked very closely with my boss, Harvey Feldner. Uh, he's the VP of HR, now the director of talent for Moog. Um, and what we did was, it was crazy because the, the Costa Ricans had just acquired the company right before I came in. Mm. And so there was this huge culture shift happening. And so the leadership team was still trying to figure out, you know, what the, the new owners were like. The organization was trying to figure out what the new expectations were. Um, and every, it was just kind of this, this upsetness, I guess, on it. They were unrest. Mm. Um, and so during my first six months there, we transitioned the entire executive team, flipped over, um, which doesn't mean that they actually did a backflip. It means they left the organization and we brought in new people. Mm. Um, and we started working on the organizational structure of the company as well as the, the values and purpose. And um, I worked with a great mentor, Nick Turner from um, London. He owned the Nowhere Group. And we did these great conferences all over the country for, you know, the sizes were anywhere between 50 employees, over 200 employees. And it was a two, two and a half day session about, you know, letting go of the past and kind of moving, fo moving forward into this new um, future with these new owners. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was great. It was a wonder, um, uh, unbelievable experience. Um, I mean, we had our own bar in our office, beautiful bar. We got, you know, tickets, swagware with Labatt. I mean, I still, I still wear all of that stuff very fondly. Um, and then the Genesee Brewery is just an amazing historical brewery, being the second oldest brewery in the United States. And they're just doing, they're, they're still doing amazing beer um, with some innovation. So fast forward to the end of that is, um, so the company started to decline and the Costa Rican leadership team made the decision to lay off some people. And so I was part of the leadership team facilitating the layoffs. And so in November of that year of 2017, I had laid off 11 people in the organization. Um, and then in January of that year, 2018, I was notified that I was getting replaced by my Costa Rican counterpart. Um, in Costa Rica, which, you know, looking back on it, I think if anyone was watching my story, they'd be like, oh yeah, like that totally is the natural thing that's going to happen. Companies do it all the time. They take the leader of the, whoever's doing the, the layoffs and then they get the message. But I was, I was shocked. I was devastated. Um, my heart was wrapped into the soul of what NAD was and what we created. But um, shortly after um, I was replaced, the kind of the whole executive team was replaced. Um, I don't think there's, I think there's one executive still there from when I was there and that was two years ago. Um, so it really, it, it, it's evolved and it's beer. I'm not sure how much you know about the beer industry, but it is a rapidly evolving kind of industry where you have to keep up with the competition. Um, and so from there, I went to, I, I was on severance and for the first time in my life, Jamie, I was unemployed. I, I was like, I, I was mm -hmm. devastated. I had two little girls, I'm divorced, you know, a single mom. 
and I was had a great severance package, but still it was like, what am I going to do? I've always thought out my next position because I was running to that position, mm-hmm. not having to find something because I was unemployed. And in pure Buffalo fashion, I met with two women uh, who owned a staffing firm and they go, have you ever thought about opening your own business? And I was like, yeah, I, I have, because my mentor had his own business and I was, you know, he was someone I really looked up to. And I said, yeah, for sure. And those, those women were Maggie Shea and Lauren Lewis of Staff Buffalo. And they go, great, go, you know, let's open HR Buffalo. And it's going to be a, a branch off of Staff Buffalo, like a subsidiary. Okay. And they were just absolutely incredible to work with. Their Staff Buffalo is a premier recruiting firm. Um, in Buffalo, does fantastic recruiting. And um, I was there for about seven months, I want to say. And emotionally, I don't, and, and mentally, I don't think I was prepared for what it was going to take to kind of launch this organization. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that, you know, I'd be going from this really nice salary and all these benefits that I had with a corporate organization to now whatever I bought, I got you know, whatever, whatever invoices I sent out, that's how I got paid. Um, so it was a very, it was, it, it started off very positive and very, very energetic and, and a lot of momentum. And then the reality kind of set in and I, I just didn't feel like I was clicking, like it was working. Um, and so in another pure Buffalo fashion, one of the executives that I worked with at Evans Bank, um, called me up and said, Hey, you know, I need some HR help. Can you help me? And I said, you know, let's, let's go grab a cup of coffee and kind of fast forward through a lot of, lot of meetings and discussions and things like that. In the fall of that year of 2019, of 2018, I started as the chief human resources officer at Cornerstone Community Federal Credit Union. A lot of syllables there. Um, and I know, right. And it was, it was, it was an amazing opportunity. I live in East Aurora. The headquarters are in Lockport. I was like, sure, I can drive an hour every day and only see my, you know, six and eight year old, like for 45 minutes a day. Mm. I had a fantastic nanny that helped me. Um, and it really was a huge fish out of water situation for me because I had come from beer, um, and banking was you know, community bank was a little bit in my past, but this was a, a credit union, which is different from a bank, a commercial bank. It was also a unionized workforce, which was very different from what I had worked with. I had some familiarity with the, the um, union environment from the Genesee Brewery, but nothing from an administrative standpoint. Um, and so spent about eight months there and, you know, many, many days in Eric's office saying I don't think I'm the person for this role um you know I'm a, I'm a big innovator pushing the boundaries pushing the status quo um wanting to do things differently and, and this was just an organization that had worked so great for so many years being the largest largest credit union in western New York mm. you know that that disruption was not what they were looking for. And so I, we made the decision to separate and last May I left, which is incredible because I'm looking at the calendar and it's April, it's almost a year. Wow. And I took, took the summer off and like did a bunch of soul searching of what I wanted to do. And Jamie, it, it kept really coming back to, I want to help companies grow. Like I love startup companies. Like 
I know what makes them tick. I know how you can really, you know, get a workforce to, to do anything for you. Like, I know what it takes. And so I decided to open my own business and go out on my own and work with startups and small and emerging businesses. And that, my friend, brings me to today. That's amazing. Who, I mean, it's a perfect example of how you never know who you're going to meet in life. This one person who, who happened to be the CEO of a company completely shifted your whole career. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And you went with it. You, you went through your challenges. And for anybody mm-hmm. listening right now, you, you, you gotta, you gotta step into that fear zone. And, and I was told that a long time. And it's like, you, you got to just embrace what's unknown out there. And uh, you did that. And, and look at you now. You're, you're in an entrepreneurial role now. You're, you're your own boss. Mm-hmm. And you didn't steer away from your, your values. You said you always liked people. So it ended up being your career is still dealing with people. And Right. Now, granted, I was doing the respiratory system with my kids this morning during homeschool, which ah. all my college books are still very near and dear to my heart. Um, and they're wondering, like, why the heck do you have these books? Um, they're not business related, but I'm like, I just couldn't give them up. Um, but it's still, I mean, biology is still a very, you know, passion, a very strong passion for me. But it really is, Jamie, like stepping into the unknown and, and trusting that, you know, your next step might be the absolutely the right thing to do. And there's that saying that, um, you know, you, you'll never do anything different if you've always done the same thing or you'll never see anything, you'll, you'll never change anything if you don't step into the unknown. And, and those really resonate with me as a person that like, you know, you gotta trust, you gotta have a level of trust out there that, you know, there's a plan out there for you or there's some universal, you know, um, influence there to really help you grow, not only as a professional, but as a person. Absolutely, absolutely. With, with you being in HR, I wanted to ask you this. Um, yeah. One, one challenge, or there's obviously many challenges, but a big challenge for companies, small and big, is always finding the best people to work for them. We were dealing with the tightest job market in, in any of our lifetimes. Anybody that was alive, anybody that's alive right now, yeah. we never experienced a tight job market like how it was. And in the course of a month, that all flipped. We're, we're at record low unemployment. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm curious to know, this is just, you know, your opinion on it. It, it. Does this mean that it's going to be easier for companies to recruit people now that there's more options? Or do you think that there's still challenges um, for companies to find, find those people? So it depends on the company. Like I'm a big believer. And a lot of the time, like the HR people have to help the hiring managers because there's always a propensity just to get a warm body. You know, that gap in whatever position they have, like, let's say someone left or it's a new position that they got um, allowed to hire, you know, they want to hire someone yesterday. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the time, you know, you got to calm down the hiring manager and let them know that this is a process and you're, you know, this is going to take a while to find the right person. I still believe that. I still believe that, um, you know, it will take a, a while to, to find the right person. Usually it's anywhere between six to nine, I mean, six weeks to about 12 weeks of interviewing, posting, hunting, searching before you can really land on an offer. Mm. In light of the current climate, I think a lot of people have been retained at the professional level, at the blue collar level, um, and as well as like restaurants um, and, and that, lo- that industry. 
Um, I think it'll be a lot easier to find a job, um, but I would still caution employers to not just hire a warm body, to still make sure if you get a stack of 100 resumes, you just don't take the first one that comes in. Really look to see um, what are the absolute necessities that this person has to have, and then what are the nice to have? You know, this, it's not required, but I'd like this person to have this skill, this personality trait, you know, or ability to do, not a have to have, it's a want, um, to make sure that they're really gonna fit in with their, your organization. Because the other thing you don't wanna do is take all that time finding someone, onboarding them, and then have them not work out and having to start this process all over again. So employers may jump to just trying to get people in there, but I'd encourage them to pause and really take the time to find the right people. Makes sense. Um, and, and the thing is, you could have the best employee that exists out there, um, but if they are employed right now, again, it was different about a, about a month or two ago, um, there's always that importance of, of having an employer brand. So mm -hmm. let's say, let's say your ideal candidate is already working at, you know, at a competitor or another company. If they don't know about you, if they don't know that you exist, you're not going to be able to really get that. You could throw all the, the different tools out there to whether it's uh, LinkedIn and monster, all the, all the different tools out there. But if you're not, if you're not investing in your employer brand so that people have an idea of what you're about, what the culture is about, what it's like to work there, you'll never have them. How, how do you think companies are going to adapt to this with this changing time with, you know, how many people are available out there? Do you think that it's still going to be at the, the top of the priority list to have an employer brand? Yeah. And I mean, now is, is not like, if you don't have an employer brand now, you're late to the show because what's happening now with companies is they're, they're really demonstrating their employer brand to a different level, which is compassion, empathy, trust with their employees, concern for the community, um, which is all part of an employer's brand. You know, how does this employer treat their employees? How does the employer, how is the employer represented in the community? What are they doing? Um, what are the benefits with working for this company? And I think, for a lot of organizations, this is really showing their true colors. Um, you know, some organizations have great, beautiful value posters hanging on the wall. They're, they look great, they sound great, but then when you take those away and you talk to an employee of what it's really like to work for that organization, you may not hear any of those words come through because they're truly not embodying it as a company. Um, so the employer brand is a really important piece if you don't have a well-established employee brand, I would say get on it and that you can, you can start developing those things from your core values and your purpose and mission of your organization. Um, how, what you post on LinkedIn, what you post on Facebook, what your employees post on LinkedIn or Facebook about your company is all part of your brand as well as your website. You know, how do you want people to feel when they go to your website? How do you want people to feel when they go to that careers tab and click on it and read about your company? You know, what do you want people to think and feel when they apply for a position? If you want them to be happy, excited, energized, you know, design your website around that. Think about those outcomes that you want and then be intentional with the design. I love it. That makes perfect sense. And, and the only other thing I'll add is, um, maybe utilizing the power of storytelling and sound so that, you know, 
hundred percent. You, you, you want to know what it's like to work there. It's one thing if you're hearing it from the executive team, leadership, you want to know what it's like to be on the front lines. You got to hear it from, from the employee's mouth. Um, Jillian, thank you very much for, for being on the show. I appreciate you taking the time to be on it. Um, if there's anybody out there that has a story to share, please reach out to us at shovelthesidewalk.com. There's a section on the website under podcast where you can fill out a form. We'd love to have more people share, you know, stories of inspiration and motivation, especially during these times. You can stream all of our podcasts on Sidewalk Talk uh, by visiting YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Jillian, thank you again for being on the show. Thanks for listening, thank everybody. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And this has been Sidewalk Talk.